This is the most important thing, actually. It's uh, don't kill people's careers if an innovation doesn't work out. And I see this over and over again for people I talk to of like, I went and worked on something risky. It didn't work out. And then my career flatlined for five years or my team was let go. I mean, these are the things that the company culture will see it and then everyone will naturally get risk averse. From the Leaders for Global Operations program at MIT Sloan and the School of Engineering, this is the Playbook series. Generations of LGO alumni have provided leadership in operations that have transformed entire industries. In this series, we invite alumni to share a page out of their own LGO playbook that has allowed them to achieve excellence in operations. Welcome to another session of the Playbook Series. I'm Ling Wang, LGO Class of 2020, and I'm very excited to be working with Ketan Kumar to bring on alumni speakers with inspiring stories. Our special guest today is Matt Voken. Matt is a seasoned leader of product and strategy at Google, where he is currently the Senior Director of Product Management for the Create Hardware category. Prior to this, Matt worked within the Internal Corporate Strategy Group at Google, where he supported a range of strategy and operations improvement projects across the company, and also led the integration and strategic planning team for Google's acquisition of Motorola Mobility. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks for the introduction. Um, you know, my, my talk is about, uh, you know, I've worked at Google for nine and a half years, and everyone always asks me, like, how does innovation work at Google? Um, so I'll talk through, you know, just some insights uh, I have on it from the work I've done here over the last number of years. But I'll try to focus on the second part around just leadership topics uh, that relate to, you know, how you manage an organization trying to do a lot of innovative work. Um, to add in a little bit of my, ba uh, my background, you know, I've been at Google nine and a half years. Twice I've been on the corporate strategy team and twice I've been the product management lead for one of our hardware areas. You know, Google as a software company has been trying to figure out how to do hardware. So a lot of my life here for the nine and a half years has been teaching a software company how to do hardware, um, which most hardware companies are trying to figure out software. So it's like the opposite of a, a dynamic that happens for a lot of places. Before Google, I worked at Bain & Company for four years out, uh, out here in Silicon Valley. Uh, before that, I was an LFM student or L LGO student now, but um, I was uh, LFM class of 2005. On the engineering side, I did chemical engineering. I'm actually a chemical engineer by background. Uh, I loved my time at MIT. I uh, love this community of alum and students. It's been a big part of uh, my career path. And then before MIT, I worked as an engineer for five years. Uh, I was at 3M for a number of years in the Midwest and then moved out here to Silicon Valley in the dot-com days and worked for a whole bunch of companies that uh, all failed and don't exist anymore. <laughs> so. Uh, originally, I'm from Wisconsin, so my, I got my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, but I've been working in Silicon Valley since about the since the right at the beginning of 2000. So most of my career has been out here in Silicon Valley. And um, you know, and I'll say I started my career at 3M, which is a very innovative company and has a lot of similarity on uh, many dimensions to Google. So some of these lessons learned kind of apply to uh, my early engineering years at at 3M as well. Uh, so let me just jump through the topics. So there's three buckets of how I think about how to make innovation work, and it's how we think every day, um, which is how we try to get employees to think and really um, drive our teams. Then there's some corporate process stuff, 
and every corporation has process overhead, which is actually good. That can be bad. Um, and so there's some things there that I think are unique at what Google's done. And then we'll get into leadership, which is really around people and HR type things. So first, in, in the area of how we think every day, you know, a big core tenant at Google is focus on the user and all else will follow. So when we look at new concepts, the first question before you get to business model, product idea, P&L, any of that stuff is, is this solving a big user problem? And do we have a very unique new way to solve that user problem? So we take a lot of care to ensure all of our new products are going after a very big user problem, either an articulated user problem or an unarticulated one. And then we have faith and hope that if we're solving a big problem, we can figure out a way for it to be a profitable business. And so you see that a lot in our mentality of things we invest into. We're an engineering-driven company. We invest into big, crazy things like driverless cars way ahead of the curve and then, try to then eventually try to figure out the business model um, later on. Now, admittedly, you know, Google built probably the most profitable business in the world in search and search advertising, so we have a little bit of the luxury of investing far ahead of the curve on these things. But, you know, a couple of examples there. You know, Google acquired Android many, many years ago, and Android actually operated for about four years inside Google trying to figure out what's the right operating system for this new world of mobile that was coming along. And, and the premise there, we believe, was like, let's make it open and free and get very, very fast adoption. Because if you go to Google's core business, the more phones started acting like regular computers with full web activity, full searches, full advertising, the better it was for Google's business. So with Android, is very much like this is solving a big user problem to up the usability of a mobile phone. And let's take a strategy that proliferates in the world as fast as possible because then all the rest of our business uh, comes along. That was more important than trying to make money on Andro every Android device along the way. Another one was instant search. Uh, this doesn't get talked a lot about at Google, but Google made a big change in search like seven years ago that basically as you type, as you type in the search query, it was doing a search behind the scenes and trying to get you a faster result. Because we've always seen in our data, the faster results get to people, the faster they click, the faster they're interacting. And, and so we've been um, obsessed with latency and the speed at which we deliver our search results. But undertaking that, we knew it was going to make a much better search experience, but it pretty much blew up how our data centers were architected. Because instead of typing, let's say, 10 letters and then hitting enter to do a query, it was doing 10 queries along the way. So the compute infrastructure had to change quite a bit. And then the entire world of online advertising all their analytics and measurement systems and advertising systems were premised on a query and then a result. And all of a sudden that was changing to 10. So it blew up everyone's metrics. Uh, but we, we knew it was the best thing for users, so we went and did it. And then we had to re-architect our data center infrastructure, but more importantly, with a lot of different advertising agencies around the world, re-architect their fundamental underlying advertising um, platforms that hang off of Google. So those are two good examples there. Uh, second is, um, when we look at innovation, is we really, in addition to a big user insight, is fundamental new tech insights and, and, and as importantly, fundamental new economic shift insights. Like if you're solving a big user problem, you have some big technical innovation and you have a way that the economics of how an industry or certain areas work are going to dramatically change, that tends to be the areas we really try to focus our engineering time on. You know, so examples, 
um, you know, cloud computing economics, and you know, this is a little bit dated now at this point, but like they are so far superior for the total cost into the economy for a given amount of computing resource if it's in the cloud versus all on-premise. And we knew that, and so you bet with that and say, we're just gonna focus on the cloud and, and invest towards there. Um, the other one is, you know, ad dollars always flow to where the highest ROI is. Because everyone's very, very hypersensitive and very fast on moving ad dollars around to where it is. So advertising forms that have much better ROI is where we've always invested. First in search, but then online display advertising. And then this goes back to why do we buy YouTube? And why is YouTube proving to be more effective as that's grown than traditional advertising on television? But it's also funny, and this is great for uh, LGO students, is like Google's an engineering first technical company. So when you work here, if you, if you say things that sound like a typical MBA, uh, it's not good. <laughs> so I remember one thing I presented, this is Eric Schmidt, who used to be our CEO. I think his quote was, that's a really nice MBA analysis, but what do you recommend we do about it that the next generation of users is gonna care about? So that was a good insight to me when I got to Google of like we think differently and you have to come forward with technical insight first and then business um, side of it second. Um, third is we also look at our innovation based on their direct business impact and indirect business impact. And uh, the best example there is, you know, we go back to our, you know, because I, I build Google branded laptops and it's like, why do we build Google branded laptops? And so I have to always think about, you know, I can build a P&L of just selling hardware, but really the reason why you go back to our core business is search and you've got competitors who try to direct that traffic to their search engines. And so a long time ago, Google built a toolbar so that in another internet browser, you could still search Google. And then that wasn't enough. And then we built our own browser, the Chrome browser. And then that's not been enough. So we had to build our own operating system, Chrome OS. And then that hasn't been enough. So now we're building hardware that runs Chrome OS. So a lot of what we do, like I have to think about how does my device increase adoption of Chrome OS, which protects adoption of Chrome, which protects access to Google search. So all of our thinking is always a lot of indirect and indirect. So as you pitch something at Google, it's like, here's my direct financial impact, but here's the overall benefit to the overall um, uh, company business overall. So those are kind of the three areas of how we think that I go back to, you know, so it's uh, focused on the user, really then focus on technical insight and economic shift type insight, and then articulate what you're working on both in terms of direct and then broader indirect um, impact. And you'll see like, you know, broader business model thinking, like, you know, Amazon as a company is quite good at this. Uh, you see how they approach a lot of new markets that they're going into, um, of how something they're doing drives more usage of Amazon Prime as an example. That type of thinking is quite important in a lot of things that we do here. Um, so let me, I'll quickly go to the next uh, next bucket, which is the corporate process stuff. And um, there's three things there in corporate process stuff. And this kind of, this also gets into um, leadership behaviors. So we expect a lot of our leaders and product leaders to lead through influence way more than control. Um, and by that, it means we're, highly collaborative, highly cross-functional, lots of different product areas. And we need people who are really good internal entrepreneurs who can have an idea and rally many parts of Google um, to go deliver on a certain vision. And you have to be really good at getting, you know, I call it leadership without power. Um, the vast majority of the work you need to get done is not of the people who report to you, but getting a lot of people inside Google excited about your idea. 
And, and Google has a little bit of this free agent culture. All the best engineers kind of have a lot of choice of what they can work on. And uh, I always say to, especially more senior people who come into Google, the number one lesson I give them is like, don't expect people to do things just because you tell them to do it. That's not the way we work. And you have to inspire and lead. And I give my own job as an example, like uh, Pixelbook, you know, is a laptop I launched. But what makes a great hardware is four things, the hardware, the operating system, Google applications, and then third-party applications. So of those four things, I control one, the hardware, and then I have to go really influence the other three. So when I look at my week, I probably spend 75% of my time not working with the team that reports to me, but going working across the company and with external partners to land the integrated product vision. Um, fifth, in terms of process stuff, is you know Google, we make very long-term bets on an area, but we give it uh, kind of VC style short investment chunks. Um, and so you'll see at Google, most teams don't waste any time on five or 10 year forecasts and plans. Because it's honestly, it's just guessing, so why waste any of your time doing really intelligent guessing? We tend to think about the next two, three years with a five year vision, but not a five year business plan. And we really spend time analyzing and debating what are the targets we're going to set in the next one year to go see if that final vision can, is, is, is on progress um, along its tracks. So a big part of corporate process stuff at Google is called OKRs. That stands for Objectives and Key Results. And we really focus on setting them on an annual basis. And there's a lot of debate about the right OKRs, a lot of thought into the metrics. And that tends to be the big part of how we drive things. And then most of us from a budget perspective, you know, you're kind of giving guidance of, hey, over the next couple of years, you want to do this. But we really allocate uh, headcount and marketing dollars and OPEX on these six to 12 month chunks. And that can be a little bit stressful as a leader of not knowing what's coming later on. But it brings in more of a venture capital type investment thesis of, we like your idea, but we want to see if you can progress along it. And as you progress along it, more capital dollars uh, start being allocated and, and float into it. So, uh, you know, a real secret side of Google is the, the thoughtfulness to like the financial investment into some of these big crazy things that we, we, that we do. Um, and, you know, one thing I always say to MBA students is, most people don't ever spend time taking like finance one or corporate accounting. And those are probably the most important classes you should take because it's some of the core ways of how financial dollars get allocated to different product teams and different product ideas in a company. Um, you know, that's the oxygen for you as a product leader to get things done. And so the, be the better you understand it uh, and can allocate for it to you is actually a very important thing. Uh, last thing on corporate process stuff is we always look outside as much as inside for innovation. So Google has a very big um, corporate uh, corp dev team, our M&A team. And in the M&A team, they're pretty well embedded into the product teams. Uh, so for me, at least once a month, there's a corp dev point person to me. And we're always looking at outside uh, technologies and outside uh, companies that when you have a roadmap, uh, you're always looking at how am I going to build it? And then what are the companies outside that could, I could acquire uh, to make that grow faster? And you know, some of Google's most famous uh, things now have actually all come from um, acquisitions. You know, so Google Maps was a company called Keyhole. Um, Google AdSense, which is our second big advertising product for display advertising, that came from a company called Applied Semantics, uh, YouTube, Android, et cetera. Um, 
and we're really, really good as a company on different integration uh, methodologies. So when I think about core innovation work at Google, um, your M&A ability and then your acquisition integration ability is a really big part of it. Uh, last thing I'll go through is, is more the soft uh, people and HR things that are important. And, and the first is uh, around hiring and retaining. Um, so I say to a lot of people about like, you know, what makes Google such a special place and so innovative? And it's like, we're incredibly good at hiring and we're incredibly good of top talent retaining. So the HR side of Google um, is the, probably the most data-driven analytical HR organization I've ever seen uh, that really helps you understand uh, the type of engineer or product manager you're hiring. Who are the best people? How are they doing in their career? Are they at a point in their other company where they're probably starting to look? Or we understand company X tends to have a compensation structure that it dips down in the three years, so we should go attack in the third year if we want to try to hire someone away. And uh, so it's, it's a very analytical, thoughtful-driven um, hiring approach. You know, because in the nine and a half years I've been at Google, we went from 17,000 to about 90,000 employees. And so in that nine and a half years, I probably spend 10 to 15% of a given week on hiring and recruiting. Um, and it's a very important thing. The more time you put into hiring, the better. Um, being a very good interviewer. So like skills you should really invest into getting really good at is like how to recruit, how to interview, and how to hire people. And a big lesson learned I've, I've learned here at Google is sometimes when someone you want to hire, you're kind of on the fence. And it's always better to miss a great hire than to make a hiring mistake. So if I'm on the borderline, I, I'll always say no. Uh, just because I know the, the damage you get in hiring the wrong person is way more than the damage you get in missing the one uh, really good hire you can make. And then retention. Uh, Google has a lot of thought it puts into, based on different type of bets that we're making, what's the right uh, compensation structure, be it cash, equity, and then on the equity side, for big new areas, like there's a reason we formed Alphabet. So like things like um, driverless cars and stuff like that, try to put to those employees that are on a different risk profile than say if you're working inside core Google on advertising. So it's really analytical, thoughtful approach uh, to compensation and really trying to retain people based on uh, stock vesting over a bunch of years. Uh, I've been blown away by that at Google. It's probably the most progressive data-driven company around compensation planning um, I've ever seen. And, and so, and the other key part of retention is just a lot of regular one-on-ones with your team to retain them. Because it's, again, Google's the most, one of the most fascinating places is that there's this heavy free agent culture here. So the onus on getting a team together is really on you as the leader, not on them. And so you have to always be retaining and pitching. And if, if any of you guys have worked in Silicon Valley, that's what makes it interesting out here. Like, you know, I work on hardware and um, Apple is five miles away from here. Amazon's hardware division is one and a half miles away from here. So like the, 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 the same companies in the same geographic location are going to the same employees. So it just makes, um, you have to be very, very well tuned in on how to recruit and where to go recruit from. Um, next one I'll go into, and Google's pretty famous for this, is uh, Google 15% time. So you give employees time and space to, to invent. So outside their day job, they can take their own, their own time while at work and go work on crazy ideas on their own. You know, I've seen this twice in my career. Google has 15% time, 3M has 20% time. 
and both companies, it's an expectation management that is just assumed normal that if, if someone wants to go spend their Friday working on their own idea, that's totally fine. And you have to figure out how to manage their workload uh, to accommodate for that. It's never, a, it's not a permission thing. It's just like, oh, you want to do it? Okay, then I have to go make that work for you. Um, and the other interesting part of it is how do you take ideas? And then when they become big, how does it, how does it turn into someone's full-time job? So I've seen at both companies really good internal pool, like kind of committees that own a certain amount of dollars that based on 20% projects can sometimes fund them and turn them into full projects. Um, and the other interesting part about Phase 2 Invent is uh, our physical office space design. If you've ever been in a Google building, uh, one, they're really cool, they're very nice, you know, there's free food, it's awesome. But what's fascinating, like, uh, I've seen these benchmarks, when you look at the amount of individual, like, desk and office space a Google employee has is, like, some of the smallest of any company in the world. And so all the space at Google is put into collaborative spaces conference rooms, big whiteboards, open space design. So when you go into a Google office building, like the percent that is group collaborative space versus individual space is totally different than at least most companies were at the time Google started this about 15 or about 20 years ago. Um, and the last one I'll end on, um, this is the most important thing actually about how to make innovation work at a company. It's uh, don't kill people's careers if an innovation doesn't work out. Um, the fear of failure tends to stagnate and petrify every company, and then they also become very innovative. And I see this over and over again for people I talk to, of like, I went and worked on something risky, it didn't work out, and then my career flatlined for five years, or my team was let go. I mean, these are the things that the company culture will see it, and then everyone will naturally get risk averse. And so I've seen at Google over and over again, we try something crazy, it doesn't work, but then eventually we try something next. And those people who did good work and just, you know, they worked on the most risky thing, get moved to the next thing. So, you know, Google, before we bought YouTube, we had something called Google Video Player. I bet you none of you have heard of it because none of one ever used it. But we learned a lot about trying to be in the video space. And so a lot of that core leadership team from Google Video Player then went into YouTube when we acquired it. And, you know, YouTube took three years to kind of get to profitability and growth and and a lot of that original team along with this great talent we acquired from youtube did that um you know google plus probably uh, admittedly one of our one of our probably most public like big things we bet on that didn't work out uh trying to take on facebook but in google plus this team developed this incredible sharing mechanism for photos and that became google photos and now google photos is the biggest uh you know online photo um sharing uh uh, application in the world. So out of a lot of this investment in Google+, you take uh, Hangouts, which is, you know, a video chat application and, and photos. They kind of came out of that into their own products and have been successful. And then, you know, for me individually, you know, we bought Motorola. We owned it for a couple of years and we sold it. Um, but then a few years later, we decided to actually inside Google, we'll build up a lot of our own uh, hardware efforts. So there were probably about 100 of us at Google who really worked hard on the Motorola acquisition as well as several outside executives we hired during the time we owned Motorola. And there's probably about 250, some 300 people of that from that Motorola experience who then a couple years later are now here inside our hardware PA um, leading this forward. And so I've seen it even in my own career of working on an acquisition that we ended up divesting, but now coming back and saying, you know, like, you know, on our own, we're gonna go build up this capability. And so I think that's the essence of like how to make innovation work well in a company is you got to make employees not afraid 
to innovate because innovation by definition probably will fail 80, 90% of the time. Uh, so you have to make an environment of psychological safety, honestly, for people to go after it and know that if it doesn't work out, things will still be okay. So that's kind of, you know, the main point I want to make. So, you know, I'll play it back of there's how we think every day. And the three things there are focus on user benefit, focus on tech insight and economic shifts, and then really think about direct and indirect business impact. And then you go into the bucket of corporate process stuff. It's we really want people spending their time leading through influence more than direct control. Um, we make a lot of long-term bets, but we have a lot of capital allocation of headcount, marketing, OPEX, et cetera, that kind of like a VC says, all right, here's your first round, go show me your results, and then you're going to get the second round, and then you're going to get the third round. And then always look outside via M&A for um, your roadmap as much as you're looking internally. And then last, the people HR things, uh, hire, 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 and then retain, retain, retain. Um, give your employees time in the right physical workspace to, in, to invent things, and don't kill careers. Thanks, Matt. That was really interesting. And it's easy to see how those practices can help drive innovation, not just at Google, but across companies and industries. To wrap up, I was wondering if you could share how an aspect of the traditional LGO playbook has helped or maybe even hindered you in the software world and how you reconcile that. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, you know, actually the first question is actually right before this, um, there, there's a new Dean of the business school at the university of Wisconsin. I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a few boards there. That was my undergrad. And so I, I met with a new Dean right before this and he asked me the same question. So now I'll give, I'll give you the same answer in a one hour period. Um, the one thing I found most beneficial, um, at LGO in terms of the curriculum, it's actually the boring old school stuff, uh, cost accounting, finance, uh, you know, system dynamics, uh, linear, uh, linear program, linear modeling, those core basic um, management and especially more management science, engineering management that LGO learns remain the most important things I took there, more than any of like, the buzz, buzzwordy sounding classes when I was there. Um, so I really always encourage students to like get the core curriculum locked and be really, really good at it. Um, and I would invest your extra time on campus into like, you know, core things, especially with, you're all engineers and you're coming to get an MBA. Um, I always invest, invest more time into the management basic classes than any of the cool hot topic of the day. Um, so that, that's probably, um, boring, but definitely how I've always strongly felt. Um, the, and then the other thing too, that I, I loved is, um, from the get-go, LFM was built in LGO with the word leaders at the first. So the amount of class time that is spent in soft leadership skills is incredibly rare. I've, um, from most of the other business schools I recruit from or I've been involved with on boards or speaking, um, it's something MIT is the best at. And so any of the things around leadership, the, the soft skills of how to inspire and lead and managing complexity um, remain some of the best things I learned while I was there. Um, you know, in my career, like it, areas I probably wish I had learned a little bit more, um, you know, of course, everything, everything's old is new, always in tech, but like, um, 
large data set analytics, data engineering, you know, queries, databases, uh, just how big data actually sits and can be distilled into insight and then action uh, remains something I see all industries are struggling with. Um, even Google, you know, Google probably is like the best in the world of this. And I, I, I feel like for my team, of the information we could extract, get and get insight from, we're probably only touching five to ten percent of it. Um, so skills and people, even a product manager of like how to go query into big things and distill out insight and do data warehousing and run heuristics and all these things, I find that's becoming more of a stable take skill sets for any function. Um, you know, my wife Rena worked here at Google in sales for a long time, and even like you know, a salesperson on our advertising products, the amount of fundamental like uh, data structure and data mining you need to have in that job is just going through the roof. And so, that's that's a big area. I think uh, I know I didn't spend much time in my time at MIT on that. And I wish I had. With that, I want to thank Matt for taking the time to speak with us and giving us a glimpse into the deliberate innovation that has made Google so successful. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. It's, it was it was my pleasure. It's always great. Uh, have a great time in Cambridge while you guys are there. It's awesome. It goes quickly. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Thanks to Eric Ferris and Josh Jacobs for their help and Gar Av for the music.